please turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 5. We've been in a series on the book of Joshua, and you may wonder why. It has to do with something that occurred a few weeks ago. I've been a little concerned about the job we were doing uh, in training people, um, biblical history, and I was going down the hall here after Sunday school, and Johnny was coming out of class, and I grabbed Johnny. I said, Johnny, I want to ask you a question now. Who caused the walls of Jericho to fall down? He said, Preacher, I didn't do it. I did not do it. I, I said, Oh, my goodness. So I went into class to his teacher, and I said, uh, Let me explain what happened. Johnny came out of the class, and, and I asked Johnny, Who called, caused the walls of Jericho to fall down? He said, He didn't do it. What do you think of that? She said, Johnny's a good boy. If he said he didn't do it, he did not do it. So I called an emergency meeting of the officers, and I just went through that scenario, and I said, what are we going to do? And one of the officers said, well, I move that we pay for the damages and keep it as quiet as possible. <laughs> well, uh, so we're studying Joshua. Now, uh, we have here the manifestation of the captain of the Lord's host. In uh, chapter 5, verse 13, it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? Uh, he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship, and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? Who is this that Joshua has encountered who is the captain of the host of the Lord? Well, this is the Lord. This is a theophany. This is an appearance of God in human form, which you encounter a number of times before God actually took human form and became a man. God the Son became man. But Probably this is a Christophany. Probably it's the second person of the Trinity who took the form of a man a number of times before he actually became a man. And uh, you notice in verse 15 it says, The captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so in chapter 6, verse 2. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given thee Jericho. This is the Lord, and uh, Joshua worships him, and he accepts that worship. Now, why was he there? He says he's the captain of the Lord's host. Who are the Lord's hosts? Well, your natural inclination is to say, well, he's saying, Joshua, I'm going to lead your troops into battle. I'm here to lead this fight. I don't think that's exactly what's being said. Over in uh, Second. Samuel chapter 5, you find that David is faced with the Philistines. And uh, it says in 5.22 of 2 Samuel, The Philistines came up yet again and spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim. And when David inquired of the Lord, he said, Thou shalt not go up, but fetch a compass behind them and come upon them over against the mulberry trees. 
And let it be when thou hearest the sound of a going in the tops of the mulberry trees, then thou shalt bestir thyself, for then shall the Lord go out before thee to smite uh, the host of the Philistines. And David did so, and the Lord, as the Lord had commanded them, and smote the Philistines. God says, David, don't go up directly. Go around behind. There's some mulberry trees there. Get your troops ready. When you hear a sound of the going in the tops of the trees, then you move your, tree, your troops out. Don't do it. Because, don't do it before, because then the Lord will be going forth before you. He's saying, David, there are two battles here. There's a visible battle. There's an invisible battle. The outcome of the visible battle will have to do with the invisible battle. When my angelic forces move out, then you move out. Don't move out ahead of time. You can tell when my forces move out because there'll be this sound in the top of the trees. Over in Second Kings chapter 6, Elisha was surrounded in the city of Dothan by the Syrian troops and army. Uh, the king of Syria sent his troops to take Elisha. And in the morning they look out and all around the, the enemy troops are there. And the servant of Elisha says, Alas, master, what shall we do? And Elisha said, Don't worry. Those that are with us are more than those that are with them. And the young man can't see anybody with us. And uh, Elisha says, he says he prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes uh, that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. They were there, angelic forces. Elisha couldn't see them. Elisha could see them. The young man couldn't. Spiritual warfare. That's what they were engaged in as they moved into the land of Canaan. That's what you and I are engaged in every day. That's what's taking place here this morning. If we could just see like that young man saw when his eyes were open, we'd be amazed at what's taking place here that we're not aware of that will affect your life very dramatically, my life very dramatically. Whether you respond to the Word of God will have to do with spiritual warfare. Whether God changes your life, whether God uses you, whether you come to Christ if you're here and you're not a Christian, uh, whether you're motivated to reach out to others in the name of Christ if you are a Christian, all that will have to do with spiritual warfare. Now, in this story, we get the principles of spiritual warfare, I believe. And the, you get the demonstration of those principles here at Jericho. In chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, and none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thy hand Jericho and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. First thing, the city had been given. They had to take it, but it had been given. Now, when we've talked about this movement from the wilderness across Jordan into the Promised Land, as we've been discussing this, we said that Canaan, the Promised Land, represents, from one standpoint, heaven. And in that sense, if you're a Christian, you're out of Egypt. Egypt represents the unsaved state where a person's in bondage to Pharaoh, Satan. 
a stern taskmaster. Where judgment hangs over the land, the angel of death is coming. Where there's a way that you can escape judgment, you can place the blood of the lamb over your doorpost on the 14th day of the seventh month when that angel is coming. That blood of the lamb represented Jesus Christ who would die 1,300 years later on the 14th day of the seventh month. He was the real lamb. And you escape judgment by placing your faith in him. And when you do that, when you surrender your will to Jesus Christ, believing his claim to be God become man, God the Son, who died for your sin, that's placing his blood over your door, you surrender to him as your master, you trust him to forgive you as a gift based on his death, then you're out of Egypt. And you're on your way to heaven, the promised land. And when you cross Jordan, that would be death. I looked over Jordan, what did I see? A band of angels coming after me. And the spiritual, the Jordan represents death. That's one, that's the basic way to view it. But another way to view it is that Canaan can represent what we have in Christ right now, the possessions I have, and I need to occupy the land that's been given to me. But when you look at it that second way, you stepped out of Egypt and into Canaan because every Christian is in Christ. And so, in a sense, uh, you're now in Canaan, but you've got to take the land, and there are there's opposition to your taking the land. There were high-walled cities and giants in the land, and the first high-walled city was Jericho. It stands right there. And so here's this barrier to them possessing their possessions. If you're in Christ, what, what are your possessions? Well, you are justified. That's settled. If you're a true Christian, you are forgiven. You daily need your Father's forgiveness, but you're legally cleared, and that's permanent. Uh, you are promised the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, faith, self-control. Tremendous qualities, character qualities. But those are not automatic. You've got to possess your possessions. You've got to walk in the Spirit. You're promised effective prayer, but you've got to possess that possession. You have promised power to be an effective witness for Jesus Christ. You shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. But we have to possess that possession. So there's, there are all kinds of things. You promise that sin shall not have dominion over you. Is there any habit in your life that's tripping you up? Anger, lust, uh, lying. Some of your, those, those habits are really messing you up. You are promised sin shall not have dominion over it, but you've got to possess your possession. And uh, there's this opposition, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, non-Christian society that threatens you. You get serious about Christ, Buster, we'll deal with you. And come on over here with us and have a little fun as the world. The flesh, that part of you that's a traitor, that sinful nature you still have, though the back of, the, of your sinful nature is broken and you have a new nature and you have the Spirit of God dwelling within, you still have a sinful nature and it keeps tripping you up. Now, the flesh is called. And then the devil, very real person who knows you're a weak spot and knows how to get at you. Uh, that, that opposition is pictured here by Jericho, this fortress to keep you from occupying the land. Notice the city had been given. They had to take it, but it had been given. 
And that's the first principle of spiritual warfare, to understand the city has been given. God has promised me these things. They're mine for the taking. If I just to tackle them, I can do it uh, through his power. Uh, now, another thing, that let's just settle in on the world as far as the city. That, that city can picture for us very well the mind of man in rebellion against God. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and uh, verse 4 through 6, Paul says this. He says, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, not fleshly, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. What's the stronghold, the fortress that we want to capture? The pulling down of strongholds, uh, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. The mind of man. That's what we want to take. Men have imaginations. They imagine they're all right with God. They imagine God is kind of like grandfather and he grades on the curve and they're open. No siree. God doesn't grade on the curve. You make 100 on his exam or you flunk. And if you flunk, buster, you don't want to flunk. The wages of sin is death, meaning hell. You're either perfect or you're going to hell. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, there's a way where imperfect people can go to heaven. It's by realizing they're imperfect, very imperfect, very rebellious and trusting in Jesus Christ who died for their rebellion and surrendering to him. But men erect vain imaginations against that. Most of the people around us imagine they're all right with God, and they are not. Many of us imagined that for many years. Uh, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, all the proud thoughts of men around us, uh, Bringing those into captivity, it says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Here's the way the Living Bible paraphrases that. Paul says, I use God's mighty weapons to knock down the devil's stronghold. Uh, he says, those weapons can break down every proud argument against God and every wall that can be built to keep men from finding him. With these weapons, I can capture rebels and bring them back to God and change them into men whose heart's desire is obedience to Christ. With these weapons, I can capture rebels and bring them back to God. What are our weapons? The gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And that's one weapon in it. Well, let's see what weapons they used here. Uh, first, they had to encompass the city. In uh, verse uh, 3... You shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days. 
Every day they were to march all around this city. And on the seventh day, they were to march around the city seven times. They had to encompass the city. What is that picture as far as spiritual warfare? Let me share with you what it pictured for a missionary to China. Back in the early part of this century, J.O. Frazier went from England to China as a missionary to the Lisu tribes, a section of China that had never been evangelized. Dark, dark spiritually. Every person there worshipped demons. Every home had a demon shelf in it where they worshipped demons. And uh, he goes there and he begins to proclaim Christ. And uh, he did it for five years without seeing a convert. And as he studied this taking of Jericho, it took on significance. And he said, uh, the wall had to be compassed about for seven days. That seems to typify the need to encompass the situation by regular systematic prayer. Here, then, we see the way of success in our work. Prayer. He said, I spent most of the evening in prayer. Nothing will give me lasting joy on this earth now but the salvation of large numbers of Lisu. He wrote home to his mother in England and said, Mother, get people there praying for this situation regularly. Get them praying. Encompass the situation with prayer. Uh, you... Uh, have in your bulletin a little card that says the ten most wanted. Take it out. Take that little card out. Uh, here's a very simple idea where you list ten people, and it'll make suggestions as to who you may want to think about listing. You list ten people, and you encompass them with prayer. You begin to systematically, regularly pray for those people. Let me challenge you to do this. Let's do this as a congregation. And... Uh, I really begin to encompass the situation with prayer. That's, that's the first thing here. Now, uh, second, they had to persevere in using the appointed means. In their case, they were to blow these trumpets. It says in verse 4, Seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day you shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout. And the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. Uh, they had to use the appointed mean. The trumpets symbolized the Word of God. Throughout Scripture, trumpets symbolize the Word of God. You find that, for instance, in the book of Revelation, John says, I heard a voice speaking to me as a trumpet, and I turned around, and he sees the Lord talking to him with his hair like wool and his feet like burning brass and so on. Uh, in Charles Simeon, preached a message on this. He says, If the trumpets did not typify, it certainly illustrates the witness which the gospel was to obtain over all the principalities and powers of earth and hell. No human force was used, nothing but the sound of the gospel trumpet prevailed for the submission of Satan's kingdom. The gospel, that simple story of a crucified Savior who was the Son of God, who died for you and me and who rose from the dead, and who offers salvation as a gift 
through genuine surrender, real repentance, and trust in Him to forgive me as a gift. That simple story is dynamite against those proud imaginations that are erected against the knowledge of God. It is dynamite. The weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So persevere in using the method. Pray, encompass the situation with prayer, share the gospel, learn how to share the gospel, take our EE training. We heard Suvon Hicks share how she took that training and leads Kathy Lee to Christ, and now Kathy will lead someone else and so on. Uh, take the take the training if you if you don't know how to share your faith, or train someone else. Uh, a lot of ways we can share our faith. That's a very helpful one. There are many others. We have other forms of training, but that starts this Thursday night. If you want information, come 5:30 this afternoon to the um, chapel, and then stay for the service at 6:30, where people who've been in that program will be sharing as they complete the program tonight. Um, <clears throat> The uh, it's in the fellowship hall Thursday night. I mentioned uh, before Christmas a little tape in the bookstore by Colson, a little cassette. Charles Colson, one of the Watergate figures who now heads Prison Fellowship, how God changed his life. Get that tape. You listen to it. Then you think of a friend you want to give it to who's not a Christian. Get a thousand of them. That's powerful. Persevere in using the appointed means. The gospel is dynamite. Uh, that's what uh, that's what J. O. Frazier did. He persevered in using those appointed means. He uh, constantly was preaching, teaching, passing out uh, tracts. Here's an, uh, he says he never let a day go by without preaching somewhere in the open air, in tea shops, in the Chinese inns at night, by Lisu firesides. Here's an entry in his journal. Pre uh, small market, but very good time in the evening, preached by moonlight, standing on a big high table in the street with a smoky lantern. Persevere in using the appointed means. And then claim the victory by faith. Verse 16, it says, came to pass at the seventh time when the priest blew the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you the city. Verse 20, so the people shouted when the priest blew with the trumpets. And it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. you think it didn't take faith to shout? Just think of yourself. You're in that army, and you walk around that city every day, and then the seventh day you walk around there seven times, and you're tailing Charlie, and you're eating everybody else's dust, and you're talking to the guy next to you, and you say, what's supposed to happen? He says, well, the wall's supposed to fall down. He says, well, uh, do you see any cracks? No, I don't see any cracks. And meanwhile, there's a crowd up here on the, on the top of the wall, and they're shouting things at you. Charlie, what do you think's going to happen? You think the wall's going to fall down, Charlie? And they're throwing pop bottles at him, and Charlie's walking around. And then you're supposed to shout. And that shout says, 
Crack or no crack, I believe that dead blame wall's coming down. And so they shouted. What did they shout? War Eagle! They shouted, War Eagle! And, uh, <laughs> and down came that wall. I'm going to try that the next Auburn-Alabama game. Well, anyway. Uh, Hannah Whitehall-Smith says, uh, No one can suppose for a moment that this shout caused the walls to fall. And yet the secret of their victory lay just in this shout, for it was the shout of a faith which dared, on the authority of God's word alone, to claim a promised victory while as yet there was no sign of this victory being accomplished. And according to their faith, God did unto them. When they shouted, he made the walls to fall. Uh, Frazier, as he per persevered in using the appointed means, as he encompassed the situation in prayer, the time came for him to claim this by faith. He puts it like this. He says... Uh, The burden became not so much the condition of the Lisu as his own lack of faith in dealing with God about them. The faith that obtains mercy and finds grace to help in time of need. He felt the Spirit was urging him to ask in faith. He said, I knew the time had come for the prayer of faith. Fully conscious of what I was doing and what it might cost me, I definitely committed myself in faith to this petition. Hundreds of of Lisu families for Christ. And he even put a time limit on it. By Christmas. Hundreds of Lisu families for Christ. By Christmas. And he had no converts at that point. Been at it for five years. He said the transaction was done. I rose from my knees with a deep restful conviction that I had already received the answer. Well, he continued persevering. And one night as he stood in one of those marketplaces and he preached the gospel by a lantern, he said, is there anyone here who wants to invite this Son of God into their life? And at the back a hand went up. He went to the man. This was a man who, whose son had received one of these tracts that he was passing out five years before and had taken it home to his father and his father had been reading it for five years and now he was ready. And he responded, and his family came, and other families came, and hundreds by Christmas were converted. And when the Chinese communists took over China, that section of China stood. They were faithful. There were 70,000 Christians. Now, he didn't win all of those. Others went out and joined him in the work, but he started the work there. 70,000 people who stood fast to the Lord Jesus Christ, and that section of China uh, as this man applied these principles. Uh, what's your Jericho? Who's your Jericho? Dr. John Alexander was a professor of political geography at the University of Wisconsin. He was the only Christian faculty member as far as he was aware of it. He was asked to sponsor the university fellowship there. Uh, there were 2,000 faculty members. And he was glad to sponsor that university work with students. But then a speaker came along 
on one of the occasions and challenged him to reach other faculty. That scared him to death. But he began to pray. He began to encompass the situation with prayer. And he asked the students in the university group to pray that one other professor, that God would give him one other professor to do this with him. A professor was transferred in in anthropology and about six months later. And, and one of the students in his class, the professor said something that identified him as a Christian. The student went to him and said, you're supposed to report to Dr. Alexander. Went to Dr. Alexander. The two of them began to pray and get the students praying. They came up with a plan. They went to 200 of the professors, and they said, Dr. Alexander and I are got a little project we want to do, an experiment. We're going to meet every Friday noon, brown bag it for lunch, and study the original source material about the man who's impacted the world for good more than any other man, Jesus of Nazareth. We're going to read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we're going to just see who he claimed to be, what evidence he gave for those claims, uh, what the implications are for us. Would you be interested in joining us? 95% thought it was a good idea. 50% agreed to come at least once. They wound up with a group meeting every Friday of about 40 folks. Different ones of those began to come to Christ. And then Dr. Alexander was asked to be the head of InterVarsity, which he became. That was his Jericho. I spoke along these lines uh, at a retreat years back, and uh, they, this was Auburn students that I spoke. And the next year I spoke to the same group, and, and one of the boys came up afterward. He said, you know, when you talked about that last year, I said, what's my Jericho? My Jericho is my floor in the dorm. That's my Jericho. There was not another Christian on the floor. But I prayed, and I encompassed it with prayer, and I asked God to give me one other Christian on that floor. And the boy moved in, and then the two of us got together, and we prayed, and we started the Bible study in our room. We asked all the other boys on the floor. Now there's six young men on that floor who have committed Christians. That was his Jericho. For years, my Jericho has been the medical center. That's my Jericho. Years ago, 25, 30 years ago, I started going down there every week leading the Bible study. Did that for 10, 15 years. Started on Tuesday noon with one of our professors here who was down there. We got people in, and we'd have the class. And then we started a class in the, med in the medical students' uh, apartment down there who had accepted Christ with Bailey Marks and myself one night, 1230 at night. Bailey's now the vice president of Campus Crusade. But uh, we went down there, and <clears throat> we started this class uh, in his home, in his apartment there. And then we moved it to another apartment. Then we moved it to another apartment. That was uh, the third one there, uh, Dr. Paul Perry, who's an elder here now, as these people came to Christ. And then a group of the doctors, we got together and we said, we need someone doing this full time. And Earl Carpenter came on our staff. And then Earl got Carl to work with him, Carl Walker. And then Walker, Earl and Carl got Selena Lynn to work with the women. Now you can go down there Wednesday and see 110 students gathering every Wednesday to consider what Scripture teaches. And uh, you find them gathering on Monday night at Earl's home and other, Dr. Simpson's home and other places. Uh, what's, your, what's your Jericho? Uh, maybe it's a member of your family. Uh, maybe, it's, uh, maybe it's your child or your father. or Maybe it's uh, your office. Maybe it's your fraternity. Whatever it is, apply these principles. Apply these principles. Uh, what about it? <clears throat>
Are you, are you equipped? If you're not, take the training. Take the EE training. Um, are you uh, really uh, encompassing the situation in prayer? Let's be serious about using that ten most wanted list and really pray for people. Um, let's claim it by faith. Let's believe that God will use you and use me to impact these lives. If you're not a Christian, of course, uh, why, you're, you're our Jericho. It may be that the spiritual warfare that's been taking place while we're here, you've realized your vain imaginations and your need of Jesus Christ, and you're prepared today to surrender to him and invite him into your life. You can do that as we close. Let us pray. As our hearts are bowed, uh, if you are a Christian, how would God have you take your Jericho? What is your Jericho? What do you need to do? Step out in faith. Tell him that you will do it. If you're not a Christian, but you want Christ to come into your life, you pray in your heart like this. Lord Jesus, too long I've been in rebellion. And uh, thank you for casting down my vain imaginations. Lord, I do need you. I invite you into my life to change me. I purpose to follow you. Amen.